This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back. Today's topic is functional ego states, dysfunctional family roles, and the archetypes of our personality and ego as created and observed by Carl Jung. So this is a, a family dynamic and a psychodynamic episode. <laughs> a lot of times when we learn which character or archetype we played in our dysfunctional family or the dysfunctional family we have now or grew up in, it helps us to be able to change. So the first step is to see it, witness it, realize it. And the second step is now that you know and understand, you know you need to make some changes because a lot of times it's us, it's me, it's you who's toxic in a relationship. Especially if you look back over, if you were to take a blank piece of paper and draw a line down the middle and then put little lines grouped apart by age, so five years old, 10 years old, 20, 30, 40, on up to what age you are now, you put in your relationships, you put in the positive things you remember on the top, you put in the negative things you remember on the bottom of that line. And if you go through that timeline, oftentimes listing every relationship you've had, and you think about why those relationships ended and how you had very um, dysfunctional and ineffective arguing techniques. Um, it wasn't productive. Your arguments weren't productive. They didn't solve anything. And you might have been left with no real closure on any of those things. So you, you can see that there's a pattern. Most of us follow a pattern. Most of the time it's unhealthy because, you know, we're not taught any kind of psychology or relationship, anything in school. We're taught to um, memorize math and memorize history and memorize all of this stuff, rote memorization, but we're not really taught life skills in school. Unless you take a psychology class as an elective, you'll get a little taste of life skills, but not really the tools that you need. So in this episode, there's a whole lot of labeling and it's it, it serves a purpose. So I know you may be saying, hey, that's stupid thought labeling it is but for this episode it serves a, a good purpose so I'm going to jump into the dysfunctional family roles and this is um, very common in families that had a parent or sibling somebody in the family that they grew up with that had alcoholism or drug addiction or a mental illness even um, and sometimes none of those things existed, but the family dynamic was still this way. So the first role on this list is the hero. 
and what's on the outside, what, what everybody sees when they look at the hero role in the family. This person's perfect, they can never be wrong, they get a lot of positive attention, they get awards, they get degrees, they're kind of an overachiever, they're the go-to person for everything. What you don't see is that on the inside, they have a fear of failing, they feel overly controlled, they yearn for freedom, but they don't dare try to take it. And what they do for the family and why they play along, the family feels we are not so bad because this person is so good. So the family has the one, the golden child, the hero. And because they have that A-plus, beautiful, positive, people-pleasing, wonderful person who never complains, it makes the whole family as a group look better. And the hero really loves the extra power and attention that they receive because of that. Now, without help, this is a very possible thing. The hero turns into, as an adult, a workaholic. They might develop physical illnesses because they hold all the negatives inside. Um, they may become controlling themselves. They might not be a heck of a lot of fun. They might be very prideful, very shameless. And what is possible with help, if they get help and learn to turn their not-so-healthy traits into healthier traits, um, achievement-oriented versus success. They learn to say no, and they accept that they don't have to be so perfect and they can get in touch with the negative stuff. They can they can get to know their shadow personality and realize that it's all part of them and it's okay. So it's a lot of work when you're the hero of the family. And as far as sibling order, a lot of times I find um, with my clients over the past couple of years... Um, the oldest of the family tends to be the hero most often, but it has been the youngest and it has been the middle child at times too. So your birth order doesn't necessarily designate you as the hero. Um, it can be different in different families, but the majority of the time the hero is often the oldest child. The next dysfunctional family role is the scapegoat. And what's on the outside of the scapegoat, when other people see the scapegoat, they see someone who is bad, angry, impulsive, never good enough, the black sheep of the family, this person just does not fit in. What you don't see is on the inside, the scapegoat feels hurt, rejected, toxic shame, they feel like a total loser, and... Here's what they do for the family and why they play along. Marriage is brought together to fix the scapegoat. The hero feels good because the scapegoat is bad. We can avoid our bad stuff by downloading it onto the scapegoat. So the scapegoat gets blamed for everything. Uh, without help, here's what can happen. They become addictive. They get in trouble with the law. They're promiscuous. They have a chip on their shoulder. 
They continue to play the role of the scapegoat in jobs and in future relationships, and they're constantly in trouble. They tend to even self-sabotage. And what is possible for these people if they get help? They can learn to be good and feel good. They can learn to take appropriate risks. They can become business owners and even missionary types. Um, you know, they turn their tests into testimonies. And they change and turn their life around. But they have to get appropriate help. Or else they continue the pattern of, I'm a bad person. The lost child is the next one. And what's on the outside, what people see, is this one tends to be ignored, quiet, invisible, under the radar. They love animals. They love material possessions. They're very artistic. And sometimes they have a learning disability. And sometimes they don't. What you don't see on the inside of the lost child is frozen feelings. They can't express their feelings. They're terribly lonely. And it's just sad. It's very sad. And what they do for the family and why they play along, the lost child in the family, the family feels like, well, at least we don't have to worry about this kid. Because when you're the lost child, you tend to be more independent and entertain yourself and you stay out of trouble. Uh, without help, the lost child won't share opinions, won't feel needed, and can die early from health issues or by suicide. Uh, this The lost child won't get their needs met. And... It's very sad to be that lonely. And what, what is possible with the lost child if they get the appropriate help and support? They are talented and creative people. They can learn how to participate and share wisdom and achieve by being quieter and good listeners. And they can feel needed and connected over time. So because they were under the radar, because they isolated they had to entertain themselves. They learned to be very creative and excellent listeners. So if they get the right help, they can basically discover their strengths and get rid of that loneliness and start to connect. The clown or the mascot is the next one. And what others see on the outside, this person's funny, hysterical. They do anything for a laugh. They're cute, they're immature, perpetually 14. Um, this person uses humor as a self-defense mechanism. And what you don't see on the inside, they hide their pain with that humor. They're scared, they feel inadequate and insecure. And what they do for the family and why they play along, they bring home comic relief to the family and it helps the family to avoid major issues. The family also gets very irritated with them because imagine if there's a major issue going on in your family and somebody's acting like Robin Williams 24-7. <laughs> it can be irritating too. So, But that distraction helps the family avoid the issues because they might shut down and say, why do you make a joke of everything? Without help, the clown or the mascot can continue to build up that pain and will let others tell them what to do way too often. 
and they become too much of a follower, just dying to fit in and be taken seriously somewhere. They never quite grow up. They have Peter Pan syndrome, and they always approach everything with a very childish frame of mind. And here's what's possible if they get the help they need and the support that they need. They can start to feel a range of emotions. They can use laughter in a good way. They can learn to take the lead more often. And they grow up to become more responsible. So if any of those resonate with you, you might think about the family that you grew up in. Were you the hero, the scapegoat, the lost child, or the clown? And in the family that you have now, all grown up, what roles do each family member play in your household? Now, the 12 archetypes from Carl Jung, these are ego personalities. So... It's similar to what I just went over, but a little bit different. So the first, let me explain real quick. Um, Carl Jung defined the 12 archetypes as an innate tendency to generate images with intense emotional meaning that express the relational primacy of human life. So it's imprints that are burned into our subconscious. And these terms define particular traits that we all have. So this is going a little deeper, but it's very similar. So the first one is the sage. The sage is the free thinker. The intellect and knowledge are their reason for living. It is their essence. They seek to understand the world and their being by using their intelligence and their analytical skills. They always have a fact, a quote, or a logical argument right on the tip of their tongue. Number two is the innocent. The innocent seems to have read and absorbed every self-help book in the universe. They're very optimistic. They're always searching for happiness. The innocent sees the good in everything. They want to feel well-adjusted to the world around them. The innocent also wants to please others and feel like they belong. So the innocent is a little similar to the lost child, right? The ruler. Oh, sorry. Number three, the explorer. The explorer is a bold traveler. They set out without a path and they're always open to novelty and adventure. The explorer has a deep love of discovering new places and new things about themselves. They're always searching for themselves. The downside of being the explorer is that they're always searching for perfection, and they're never satisfied. Sounds a little bit like the hero. Number four, the ruler. The ruler is a classic leader. They believe they should be the one to bring order to any situation. Also sounds like the hero. The ruler is stable, strives for excellence, and wants everyone to follow their lead. They tend to have plenty of reasons why everyone should listen to them. This is one of the archetypes related to power. The ruler, in their desire to impose their will on others, can very easily become a tyrant. The creator... 
The creator has a profound desire for freedom because they love novelty. They love to transform things in order to make something completely new. The creator is clever, non-conformist, and self-sufficient, a lot like the lost child. They're imaginative, they're good-humored. However, they can also be inconsistent and spend more time thinking than actually doing. The caregiver. The caregiver feels stronger than other people. They feel stronger than other people. Consequently, they offer maternal protection to all of those around them. They want to protect people from harm and try to prevent any danger or risk from threatening other people's happiness. In extreme cases, the caregiver turns into a martyr who will constantly remind everyone of their sacrifices. The caregiver definitely is a codependent personality type. Next up is the magician. The magician is like a great revolutionary. They regenerate and renew, not just for themselves, but for others. They're constantly growing and transforming. The negative side of the magician archetype is that their mood can be contagious. They sometimes turn positive events into very negative events. The hero. The axis of a hero's life is power. The hero has an uncommon vitality and resistance that they use to fight for power and honor. They'll do anything to avoid losing. In fact, they don't lose because they never give up. The hero can be overly ambitious and quite controlling. The rebel. The rebel sounds a lot like the scapegoat. The rebel is a transgressor. They provoke people. They don't care at all about other people's opinions. And as a result, they like going against the grain and thinking for themselves. They don't like to be pressured or influenced. The negative side to the rebel archetype is that they can become self-destructive and self-sabotaging. The lover. The lover is all heart and sensitivity. They love, 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 and lavish it on other people. Their greatest happiness is to feel loved. They enjoy everything that's pleasing to the senses. They value beauty in every sense of the word above all. The jester. This is the clown or the mascot. The jester likes to laugh even at themselves. They don't wear any masks and they tend to break down other people's walls. They never take themselves seriously because their goal is to just enjoy life. The negative side of the jester is that they can be lewd, lazy, and greedy. The orphan. The orphan archetype walks around with open wounds, lost child. They feel betrayed and disappointed. They want other people to take charge of their life. When no one does, they feel disappointed. They tend to spend time with people who feel just like them. The orphan often plays the victim. They pretend to be innocent. The orphan has a cynical side and a very manipulative talent. So these 12 archetypes described aren't the only version of Jung's ideas. Other versions include different archetypes. 
However, they're all essentially the same. Okay, so in hearing the 12 archetypes, which one would you say you would relate to the most and the people in your family would relate to the most? If you assigned an archetype based on your observations of yourself and your family members, who would be assigned what? And that will come in handy later because if it's unhealthy, they can change it. So I want to talk about the functional ego states. This is a quick one. So the functional ego states, we all have, as, as described by Sigmund Freud, we have the id, the ego, and the superego. The id is the toddler. I want that. It's mine. Give it to me. The ego is somewhere in the middle. I want that. I wonder if I could steal it and get away with it. I wonder if I took it, if anyone would notice. I don't know. And then the superego, I want that. I'm going to get a job and save up and go buy that. It's, it's nice. So this breaks down other factors of the ego. So the way this is broken down, functional ego states, we have the critical parent who's moralistic, judgmental, and authoritarian. We have the rebellious child who is defiant, complaining, manipulative. We have the adapted child who's compliant and passive and can be covertly manipulative as well. We have the nurturing parent, reassuring, caring, encouraging, supportive, understanding. We have the adult the non-judgmental, open-minded, interested, confident, reality-based, wise mind person. And then we have the free child, curious, energetic, fun-loving, and spontaneous. So what I want to focus on is the adapted child, the adult, and the rebellious child. Because a lot of us fall into those more I think and when you find yourself being moralistic and judgmental you're reenacting the way a critical parent or critical authority figure spoke to you when you were little somewhere along the line you're doing it to somebody else so in your head that's how you learned how to be that way by being treated that way by somebody somewhere that's the theory behind this so now you're expressing it in what you feel is the proper moment to express that. The adapted child is is the child who has adapted to life after a trauma, but they still need a lot of work because they're not functioning as an adult yet. So they tend to be defensive. They tend to be manipulative. Um, they always feel cheated. They don't feel like they're really taken seriously and they catastrophize like crazy it's a typical drama queen throwing a temper tantrum um, just kind of throwing a fit but then they'll go along with what you say even if they don't like it because they don't want to fight anymore 
So you're dealing with a child, and if you're if you're running on an adult ego state, that can be very frustrating. Um, you have a, a combination of the adapted and the rebellious child complaining, being defiant, but then there's that push pull. Love me, get away from me. Okay, I'll go on the vacation with you. No, I'm not going because you're gonna bring your sister and I hate her. You know, there's just there's always this push pull thing going on. And it can be very frustrating. Um, so the adult has gone through the developmental phases um, and mastered them for the most part to get to that stage in life to work on that that state of ego. The rebellious and adapted child, the wounded child, never got to master certain developmental phases that are needed to learn that maturity and that patience and how to control emotion and how to critically think about an issue without blowing up. They didn't learn that and maybe they they didn't have parents who modeled that for them very well either. So those are frustrating and everybody probably knows a rebellious adapted child and we know people who act like adults. So if you are the rebellious, adapted child and you want to change your relationships with people and gain that respect that you deserve to have and learn how to handle things and put your emotion on the side for a minute and just handle it with your logic, scientific mind, one, one factor that works really well is to think of an adult that you respect who handles everything with grace and poise and patience and start imitating that person and practice, practice, practice and learn, go through this podcast and listen to the DBT, listen to the Stopping Stupid Thoughts, listen to all of the episodes that teach you how to reframe your thoughts how to be mindful, how to stop repeating the patterns that have not worked for you. The free child, the curious, energetic, fun-loving, spontaneous child, that's a lot of fun, but we can't always act like a child. (laughs) So the way they explain this is that these functional ego states step up and take over and perform or you present with that ego state at the appropriate times. And if you do, then that's functional. But if you're presenting with those at an inappropriate time, it is not functional. Uh, For example, the rebellious or adapted child at work, somebody might say, hey, that report you had had a few typos and uh, we need you to retype the whole thing. So the rebellious adapted child would be furious would probably cry, would feel targeted, would feel victimized, would feel all kinds of terrible feelings, and would very likely not be able to really control the outburst. Whereas the same thing could be said to somebody who's functioning on adult ego state, and they would feel that disappointment and think, man, this feels like shit, but it's my job and they're paying me, so I'll go get it done, right? So you have to learn when it's appropriate to be the critical parent, the rebellious, adapted child, the nurturer, the adult, or the free 
spirited child. I just found that very interesting and wanted to share it. And now uh, I want to just kind of summarize this article I found about how to keep your little inner toddler in check. <laughs> um, we all talk about the inner child as therapists. We talk about your inner child, getting in touch with your inner child. And sometimes you think about, you know, spending time with a two-year-old. You can see their inner child. They're full of joy one moment, and the next moment they're screaming, but they can't really tell you how they feel because they don't have the words. And sometimes our inner toddler busts out like that, you know, and you can't find the words. Sometimes the only words you can find are, you know what, F you. <laughs> because in the moment we're just blindsided by whatever just happened. And our everything, our logic, everything just goes to bed and our ego sprouts up and is like, what? And then you, your first thought is like, Jerry, Jerry. And you want to fight. You want to fight verbally. You want to fight physically. Ah! So we have to learn how to keep that in check. We also, maybe we don't fight physically. Maybe we don't even fight verbally. But we start hurling insults. You're a jerk. I hate you. Or you start saying terrible things that destroy. They can destroy your relationships. They can even ruin your career and life if you don't get this under control. People who have chronic overload of stress and a lot of life transitions where they're constantly adjusting that maybe medical conditions or um, chronic relational conflict with their partner, they probably are relying on childhood strategies to get their needs met because it's like being in survival mode. You know, when you're a kid, and there's all this chaos, you go into survival mode. So people that have been through traumas and terrible things as kids or even kids who were neglected, maybe you were the lost child in your family and it wasn't necessarily like you wouldn't consider it traumatic, but it was. And so you were in survival mode in your own head. Maybe you didn't get the help you needed and now here you are relying on basically these survival techniques to function and if you're allowing that to happen too much it means you're constantly indulging in immediate needs and you never get to see that you can tolerate not getting everything you want all the time so your little self becomes an adult who on the inside feels weak and terrified but projects strength by using rage as you can see, you can tolerate distress and improve your relationships without these tactics. You'll no longer need the little you to handle all your adult issues. So this will lead to more confidence and better self-worth and self-esteem over time. So there's four examples here of the destructive inner child dynamic. You have the temper tantrum, king or queen. And think about a child who every time they don't get what they want, they cry, they scream, they wail. They make that high-pitched, unbearable sound, and it never stops. It seems like they never get tired, and they have lungs of steel. And you may have serious difficulty accepting the word no from your partner, 
or they might walk on eggshells in your presence because you have this little tantrum inside of you just waiting to explode. So you've got to step back and remind yourself in situations where you want to throw a temper tantrum that even though you're feeling something very intensely, you do not have to act on it. You do not have to break the dishes, start screaming and stomping and hitting the walls. You don't have to. You have a choice. So do something to distract yourself in the moment. Take a breath. Take a shower. Take a walk. Try to take the edge off of that emotion and let it die down a little bit. And then go back and look at how you were feeling and see if you can let it go or if you can communicate it with your words, with your I statements. I felt angry when that happened because you don't have to yell. You don't have to ball up your fists. Just say, I felt angry because, and try to talk about it. And if you start feeling that that little toddler tantrum king or queen coming back to the surface because you don't like what you hear, take a time out. Just like it says in the fair fighting rules, take a time out and say, you know what? I'm so angry. I can't stand it. So I need to go calm myself down. I need some space and I'll be back. But do make sure you come back. Number two on this list is the manipulator. This is passive aggressiveness. This is making somebody pity you. You're crying. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, like a little kid. And you're constantly demanding and contorting things to get your needs met. And it's exhausting when you live your life like that. And that can result in rage on the part of your partners. They'll get sick of it too. They'll be like, I'm so tired of your shit. Seriously. If you want something, just say so. And if we can't make it happen, we'll figure out an alternative. So you need to start trying to tolerate not wanting, not getting what you want. Start getting used to being told no and accept it. Radical acceptance. The next one on the list is the good soldier. This is a person who's so intolerant to conflict that they are constantly putting on a brave and happy face, even when their feelings on the inside are much more complicated. Think about the kid whose home life is hostile or abusive, but at school they're functional, they get great grades, they, they appear to be resilient and all that. Well, adults who fall into this habit have secret lives outside of their committed relationships. This is the person who, just out of nowhere, tells their partner, I want a divorce, I'm done. And the partner of a good soldier is often shocked and wants to work on the problem, but the good soldier's gone before it can even happen. And the good soldiers are afraid of conflict, they're cowards, they're terrified of conflict, and they work very hard to keep people happy while neglecting their own feelings. So by doing that, of course resentment builds up. And of course over time, you're like a volcano, you're going to blow, you know? So if you notice yourself doing this, try to be more real with everyone you care about. Test the waters. See if you can make room for the real you in your adult relationships. If there isn't room for that, consider going to couples therapy, 
and individual therapy so that you can explore those complicated feelings more and learn new communication tools to help your partner to hear you. And then we have the rebel without a cause. This inner child describes an adult who is behaviorally acting out in his or her adult relationships. So as teenagers, sometimes you get your needs met on the sly, so you don't have to deal with parents or authority figures. You sneak out of the house, you stay out late, you uh, say you're going to be one place, but you're actually at another place. You're promiscuous. You try drugs and alcohol. The adult uses these same means to get their needs met outside of their committed relationship. When they feel bored, upset, frustrated with their partner, they won't talk to them about it. They will just act out behaviorally. So they'll get caught up in this dynamic and have a bunch of affairs. Some of them have a secret life that their partner never knew about. And uh, it's similar to a teenager in that they, they never really grow up. They never tell themselves no. Um, if you are that rebel, know that continuing this way is going to burn you out physically, emotionally, financially. It's destructive. And these destructive habits can be broken. Start being your own best parent and tell yourself no. Because these things might feel good now, but they're going to feel worse in the long run. So when you're going through difficulties, it's natural to regress to childhood egotistical behaviors. It's natural to do that. Um, but, you know, be careful because if you're chronically relying on one or more of these egotistical strategies to get your needs met, it might give you relief or get your needs met now. But in the long in the long run, there will be more and more problems. You'll have more patterns of failed relationships. You'll never really find happiness. And then you'll end up being one of those sad old people with no family who just sits around and drinks themselves to death. <laughs> so you want to make sure you get help. You want to make sure you get the help you need, get the support that you need. Learn to experience the pain of hearing the word no and not getting what you want. Learn how to compromise. Learn how to tolerate conflict. And learn how to allow yourself to be vulnerable in a relationship. Will you get hurt? Of course. You will eventually get hurt. But the time between putting yourself out there and getting hurt, all the stuff in the middle is worth it. All the joy, all the fulfilled needs all the happiness, all the love, it's worth it. Sometimes we get hurt, sometimes we get betrayed. It's okay, it's just part of life. And the pain will subside eventually, and you will move on. So, you need to look at things with a more mature ego. Function more with the adult ego, wise mind. If you continue, if you're one of these, unhealthy ego types and you continue your partner may stop being his or her real self with you and operate in a robotic way with you 
and you'll feel it and you'll know it and it's not going to feel good. So instead of playing games or letting that little toddler in you dominate your adult relationships, talk directly to your partner about how you feel. Talk about your fears. Talk about your hopes and tell them it's hard for you. It's hard for you, but you need to tolerate hearing what they're not happy with too. You need to take accountability for your actions. And I know this sounds really hard, but this is what keeps you in a long-term relationship to build your own family. And when you're old, you won't be alone. You'll be holding your partner's wrinkled up old hand and you guys will look at each other's wrinkled up old faces and you'll grin and you'll be watching all your grandchildren playing and see your adult grown-up children happy and content with their lives. So picture that, how much nicer that would be. So I will definitely do episodes uh, diving into this a little deeper, but I just thought it would be interesting for you guys out there to identify which role, which ego archetype are you and do you need to make changes? little self-examination. All right. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate you. I am grateful for all of you and keep on using your therapy tools and create the life you deserve.